Welcome to the Mindful Investors Podcast, a show where I share actionable strategies used by high-achieving human beings to help you tap into your full potential and start building the life of your dreams. I'm your host, JP, and I believe that if you build yourself, you can build anything else. I invite you to listen in as I interview experts and entrepreneurs to learn how they develop the mindset to achieve personal and financial success so you can do the same. Together, we will dive deep into topics like building self-confidence, creating financial freedom, and outlining strategies that meet you where you are and take you where you want to be. So sit back, relax, and join me as we unlock the endless possibilities inside us and help you take your life to the next level. Let the journey begin. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode, which I am very excited to actually uh, be doing. Um, This is a person I think you guys are going to get uh, you know, it's a treat to have on 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 the show. I'm excited to call him a friend um, and a you know a virtual mentor because I actually haven't met him. But without further ado, I want to bring in Tim Shiner. Tim, how are you? <laughs> Wonderful, my little text buddy and my little <laughs> my little phone call buddy. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, we've been texting back and getting forth. a little emotional just being here, man. Oh. Like we're. Uh, I don't know if I've ever had a. <laughs> you're like uh, back in the day. I think people had pen pals where they wrote somebody a letter halfway around the the world or something. Kind of like my little text. Uh, Let's talk my text about- buddy because I'm just happy with what you're doing. You're obviously in a different phase of your life than I am, and and uh, you know it, it's lonely out there. And and whenever you can find someone that can encourage you or tell you to tap the brakes, but. I don't think I've told you to tap the brakes on anything. I mean, you're killing it. Just to kind of give the audience a backstory, the way that I actually met um, Tim, I was listening to him on the Bigger Pockets show, and this was a couple of years back. And, you know, Tim was one of my favorite shows. I, I just loved his personal uh, philosophy about life, which you guys are, you are going to get to hear. And I believe I texted you or emailed you that night. I, I, well, I didn't text you. I emailed you because I didn't have your number. And you responded the same night. Sure. Well, I mean, if someone takes the time, energy, and effort to reach out to you, I mean, think about, let's say that there's 10 people that thought about doing that and only one or two does it, you know, and, you know, most of us come from nothing. And, and if you're, you know, my, my dad wasn't passionate about real estate. My mom wasn't passionate about real estate. I had to develop my own passion about real estate. The world's different back in, you know, when I grew up, there was no internet, there was nothing. And so, if you wanted to kind of learn something, it was kind of hard to get a resource. Everyone, everyone nowadays is really fortunate that there's so much digital content. There's so many podcasts and kind of like, uh, it's funny. I'm listening to Steve Jobs audiobook from, uh, Walter Isaacson. First, I listened to Elon Musk. This Walter, is it Walter Isaacson? This guy knows how to write a book. I mean, he's fantastic. So I listened to Elon. My son's listening to Elon Garrett. He's 21 years old and now we're on Steve Jobs, but. They're talking about uh, iTunes and the iPod um, and it's at the point where they made a special one for Bono and, and all this. But my point of saying that is, is, you know, 
everyone's got different musical tastes. And I think with real estate, there's going to be certain people that resonate with you and certain people like, man, I just don't get what they're singing. And so somehow we connected on what, what I was saying out there. And that, you know, I'm not, I'm not the, you know, one size fits all for people. You know, I did it kind of my way. I made a lot of mistakes. It's funny. I got to visit some of my mistakes. I got to go up to Kentucky last week with my son where we bought, bought a lot of real, not we, uh, I did. And, 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 and I, I made a lot of bad real estate decisions up there. So it was kind of cool revisiting that. Um, but you know, there's some guys on here that could tell you how to kill it on multifamily. I can tell you what not to do on multifamily. Um, back in the day, I was preaching a lot of appreciation. Looking at the total, you know, if, if you're a couple hundred bucks positive, that's fantastic. But if the property's not appreciating, that's not very good. But if your property's appreciating like crazy, like mine have done, and your break even or a little negative, a little positive, that's another way to make money. But before inflation, before everything went nuts, you know, that's how I think I got on bigger pockets is I was kind of the antichrist. It's like, Oh my God, this guy's betting everything on appreciation. What, you know, bubble mentality and all this other stuff. But I had a very long horizon. My my horizon is buy and hold it forever. So if I overpaid or or if something happened, it's just a blip in the radar screen. It really doesn't matter. Um, I'm you know strongly influenced by Warren Buffett. He you know he bought Coca Cola forty years ago and it's worked out for him. I mean he just buys stuff and holds it forever. So you know I um, but I bought a, a lot of crappy real estate in my life. And what's really kind of made it so I've done okay is my wonderful, highly appreciating great school district stuff, you know, and I know you do a lot of flipping. So you're like in a whole different segment of the market than that's I. right. That's right. And, uh, you know, to piggyback on what you're saying, um, you have your business plan. Appreciation would affect if you, if you were looking to, if you had a five-year plan, uh, but you're, you're looking to hold. So that changes things. Right. And hundred percent. Right? And I think that that's, but, but some people can't afford, some people can't afford a forever uh, you know, they got to make money now. They're looking to quit their job. They hate their job. I love my job. I mean, I have my own business, so I'm not, I'm not looking to escape anything. So listen, I, I kind of want to go back. So you, you, I was reading your book, uh, 50 things they didn't teach you in school. And one of the, you know, what I kind of want to talk about, um, one of the chapters that I think is what did it really hit home for me. And it was, you know, bet on you. I want the audience to kind of understand where'd you come from, right? So where where were you? Did you have wealthy parents? Uh, did you were, were you were you rich? I, I had the benefit of not being rich, <laughs> so that way I wasn't sitting around waiting for something to happen or someone to die. Here's the deal: I I'm adopted, no big deal. Um, but what it did for me, it gave me a very different perspective from a young age. So I would look at a kid, and he'd have better clothes, a nicer house, better food, you know, whatever. And and I thought. Like that kid did nothing to be put in that situation. And I did nothing to be put in my situation. And so I was, I, I, I never was envious of others. I just realized it's kind of like if anyone listened to this plays Texas Hold'em, you get the two cards you start out with and then you got to play the board right. and figure it out. Well, some people are dealt pocket aces. They're born into a very affluent family. Some people are seven, two offsuit and some people are somewhere in between. So. You know, I feel like I grew up in like a decent school district, but kind of like a smaller home for that area. My parents would provide like, like tough skin or Sears jeans. And if I wanted Levi's to be cool, I had to go work. So I always had a really strong work ethic. I shoveled driveways. I mowed lawns in the summer. Uh, I had a paper route, uh, Chicago Tribune's Chicago Sun Time. 
which was kind of cool because it I wasn't really a morning person back then. But I had to set two alarms, you know, one next to me, one across the room. Because if I didn't wake up and get the papers out, there was just no time to make it up because I had to catch the bus. So I, I think a couple things. One is just realizing that having an awareness, I don't think most four, five, six-year-olds think about, you know, where kids are, <laughs> you know, when, when you're that young. And I did. Um, I was very aware of that. And then the other thing is work ethic and, and kind of like what you alluded to. If it's going to be, it's up to me. Kind of you ink, uh, you invest in yourself. That, that paper route was pretty cool because I think most kids are shot out of a can and jump in a car. Parents drop them off. They go to school. Everything's structured. Parents pick them up. Everything's really structured. So I probably had about two hours every single morning to really kind of be in my own head and think and roll papers. Um, you know, this neighborhood no. cat would come in. No. With the papers, and I would just pet him once, and he'd purr for about you know 35, 40 minutes while I'm rolling my papers. I pet him again, and he'd be good. So two pets, he'd purr for forty five minutes or so. But his name was Bubba. But um, but uh, but but I, I I think I just really you know was in my head head a bunch. And the other thing I would say is I had high standards. I just viewed it as this is your only life on the planet, and you can either get on board and and you know, go for your dreams or, 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 or not. This isn't a dress rehearsal. Right. And, um, and, and I think the other thing, I wasn't afraid to fail. Um, you know, I had a couple of failures young in life and, and, and once you realize that, that, you know, you know, I pulled out the stat the other day, I was doing a sales meeting at the promo company up in Kentucky. I said, 212. Can you tell me what that is? And people are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I'm like, that's how many, uh, career interceptions Tom Brady threw. Okay. So he's going to ha- first ballot Hall of Fame, arguably the best quarterback, but no one, no one talks about the 212 interceptions. You know, I mean, he screwed up 212 towns. So you, and, and, and kind of like I alluded, I've made some bad real estate decisions. And, and, you know, if you, if you can, uh, just go, all right, well, I screwed up. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop. That's it. Or someone buys one house and they're like, forget it. Real estate's not for me or sales. I tried sales. Somebody was mean to me, kicked him out of the office. It's not for me. I mean, you weren't good at riding a bike. I'm still not good at golf. You know, there's lots of things you're not good at when you first try. So, uh, why should you be great at real estate either? Um, gotta say mm. is find the best, pro- mm. best property, but pull the trigger. I mean, I think the greater thing is if you just don't buy one, if you don't buy one, you're never going to learn and you might lose, you might win, but just do your best, get a property. You're going to either do well, do bad. Do somewhere in between, but you're going to learn and you're going to get in the game. And if you don't, if you're not in the game, that's, you know, oh, here it is. I'm a big rush fan, but this, this coffee mug, if you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. So everyone out there, this, oh, you know what? I just haven't bought the right property yet. If you choose not to decide, you still made a choice. You chose not to buy a house. You chose not to make an investment. I don't think you didn't make a decision. Mm. You, you, you chose, you chose not to do anything. It's a decision by not making a decision. But a lot of people feel, I don't think that many people comprehend. Not making a decision is a decision. And quite honestly, it's the easiest one because you chose not to do shit. But, but Tim, you know, uh, let me ask you a question. I mean, you, you had, you had two stories, right? I'm adopted. Yeah. Right. Uh, I don't fit in. Um, and, um, why should I even be successful? So my question to you is how, did you have thoughts like that? And what, you know, how, 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 how'd you overcome that? I mean, cause that's difficult. I think it's cause, cause the game of business yeah. is mental. You know, I a hundred percent agree that attitude is humongous. And so 
So how I viewed it is I always thought things could have been way worse. I could have been growing up on the streets of Philadelphia with a single mom, which wasn't cool in the early 70s. It would have been tough. Okay, no big deal. I'm in the game of life. I'm happy I'm here. I'm happy that I'm born in the United States of America. You know, I'm happy. I'm happy about everything. And, and so I had a very realistic viewpoint of very thankful, very grateful. So it wasn't any negative thoughts at all. It was just like, you know, I could have been anywhere. I'm in the United States of America. You know, uh, I'm, I'm a male in the United States of America, which was a good thing at the time. And, and here we go. And so that was it. So, you know, to kind of fast forward, I, I moved, we moved back and forth. There's a place in, in, Dallas, Fort Worth, and a place in Chicago where they had a plant making these home cannon jars at both places. So I moved back and forth. So I got to see the Midwest values and I got to see the entrepreneurial ship of Dallas. Right. I currently live in Dallas. This is where I live in Westlake, Texas, a beautiful little suburb right, right in Dallas, Fort Worth. Um, very fortunate to live here. But by seeing both of them, I got my, my Midwest buddies that if you try to have a little bit of an ego, they would just bust your chops, you know? But then I also saw the entrepreneurship. Like I, I knew that I could have an apartment for four or four hundred fifty bucks down in Texas. And I was putting myself through college at University of Texas Arlington. I never finished, but I viewed it as as I can make my own mark. I mean, there up in Chicago, there's people you know thirty years old living in their parents' basements. You know, um, the trade unions, like a guy doing decks and siding, was making fifty grand when a college graduate was going to make twenty five grand. So. It just was going to be difficult in Chicago. It was difficult to break in. And so I went to Texas. So the, one of the things I'm kind of proud of uh, is I left my parents' house at 18 and six months because I was old for my, my, my class, my graduate graduating class. So 18 and six what? months. And at 19 and 10 months, I bought my first At 19 years so old, you, were, you purchased yeah, your first home. So that's pretty, that's pretty quick. My goal was to buy my first house before I was 20. And I did it with two months to spare. And originally, my, my parents were going to co-sign, but my dad lost his job in the middle of that cert. So without the internet, without trying to figure out how you could get a house, back then, you can assume an FHA or a VA loan, where basically, if you had enough for the down payment, you could just assume a property. So I, I assume- How do you even know? How how do you know that? You know what? I just I knew that, I knew that this path wasn't going to work. My parents could not co-sign. So when my parents could co-sign, basically any house was in play. So then that what I love that. No, well, it's just you get stopped one way. Oh, I guess I can't do it. I guess I got to give up. Set, that's what set my dreams exactly on fire. I, no, you just right. figure out another way. So the other way was to assume a mortgage. And I assumed a mortgage on this little $45,000 house. My mortgage was 12% interest. So when I hear people pissing them on about 7%, I'm like, well, you know, and, 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 you know, there's a famous real estate saying that you marry the property, you date the rate. Uh, a high interest rate Ooh, isn't. That's right. Only like time that. a high interest rate's bad is over a prolonged period of time. And back to jump ahead a little, in 09, I bought three houses on five-year notes at 10% from a personal investor because the properties were super affordable. It's just there was no liquidity in the market. So already having a 12% mortgage before, it didn't freak me out to pay 10%. And it didn't freak me out on a five-year note because I had other businesses and still do that could offset the negative cash flow. Now, I don't recommend that for everyone. I mean, if you're scrimping to get by, you might not want to try to pay off a, these were all like 200, $220,000 houses that I banged down in five years. Um, but the, the, the alternative was to not get the property. I said, you know, so no asset, no appreciation. You know, if you can't get the asset, if you can't get the that's property, right. that's right. Then you're on the sideline. That's right. So, but it also goes back to just 
just not stopping. I mean, it's just like, all right, well, that didn't work or, or, or kind of how I got into multifamilies. I couldn't buy single family homes anymore. Um, you know, in 08 and 09, the last thing they wanted is an investor having one more property. So that I shifted and bought multifamily in Kentucky, which could have worked out. I just bought in a really bad area. Uh, but that's, you know, like, well, why did you go there? Well, I went there because I know my plan of buying quality single family homes in a very affluent number one school district in the state of Texas dried up. So, uh, I bought three with private money and, and then that private investor, uh, didn't want to do any more. And, but, but no excuses. I didn't go find another private investor. I could have, I could have held steady with the course. Uh, but I thought, I thought, well, let's go do multifamily. It's something I wanted to do. I just didn't do it right. Mm. So, you know, you, you hit a couple of things there. So one, you, 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 you kind of survived or learned how to thrive in that kind of market where you had a 12, right? Uh, there's a lot of people out there saying, I hear a lot of, a lot of people talk about, you know, we can't make any money. I, I mean, rates are just way too high, right? Goes back to the story we tell ourselves, right? I mean, I have a, I have a shirt that always says, you know, what do you have to believe? What do you have to believe? Right. And it's the story that we tell ourselves. There's, there's no opportunities, but you're also right that there is massive opportunities. I'm seeing massive opportunities in this market. Um, but you can't have it both ways. Like, like back when rates were low, I was offering cash and 25 to 30,000 over asking and not being able to buy anything because right. everyone was going higher. So, so what people, again, don't use that as an excuse. When interest rates are low, the average person trying to put three to five percent down on a first time home buyer, unless they wrote a letter and unless the couple was That's sympathetic right. to their needs and not trying to get every last dollar out of the property, you were shut out. So, 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 and that went that long ago. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're talking two and a half years ago. The average person competing against a cash investor like you and I had no chance. They had no chance. Unless, 100%. unless the people selling the house didn't want their house to be a flip or a rental or whatever, they had some nostalgia to that and they wanted to help out, you know, the nice couple with small children. But once interest rates start going down, everyone's coming back in. And, and I'll tell right. you, I'll tell you a story about that. So in 08 and 09, I had people call me up going, Hey, Tim, how are you doing? I go, what do you mean? How am I doing? He goes, well, the housing crises and all this. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, never better. And I'm like, because I'm a very positive, optimistic person. They're like, come on, you can tell me. I'm like, I wouldn't lie to you. I go, I'm never better. And they're like, what do you mean? I said, can anyone buy a house? And they go, no. And, and, and I own a lot of rental houses, right? And you go, yeah. I go, do you think they're full or empty? He goes, they're full. I said, so <laughs> my rent houses are full. No one can buy a house. And I said, I said, do you, do you agree that there's still a great desire to buy houses? They're like, yeah. I said, the only thing that left the market was liquidity, like an engine not having oil or gas. The liquidity left. So there's still demand. And once the liquidity enters, prices are going to go up. Things are going to go crazy. There's always going to be a challenge is basically well, what just you're saying, right? Don't, like, like Warren Buffett doesn't try to time the stock market. So, And he's arguably top five richest guy in the world. So, so you're going to try to time the real estate market with – with all of our narrow exposure or someone that's never bought a property, you're trying to time it just right. You think you're going to get just right. Find a property you like, pull the trigger, get it. And then when the interest rates go, go down, refinance. That's right. Or 
or wait out That's right. and so, wait for everyone yeah. to come in and you're going to miss it again. You missed it two and a half years ago and you're going to miss it again. No, it's just the truth. That, no, no, you're 100% right. And um, so I say to my wife, if we can buy properties, these properties right now with these rates and they can cash flow, can you imagine after the rates drop? Absolutely. Right? It, it's got, it, we're got, it's a win-win for me. That's the way that I see it. 100%. This, this environment is a win-win for us. It's fantastic. George, you, you, you win both ways. If interest rates go up, there's less buyers, you can buy more. If interest rates go down, you're going to cash flow better. So it's, it, it, you know, it's a win-win. No, you can't lose heads. You win, tails, you win either way. That's for us yeah. that, that, but that's how I choose to look at but, it opposed to. But George also, um, Warren Buffett's the same way when he has a stock he likes, if it drops, it's like fantastic. It's on sale. I get to buy more. If it goes up, great. I'm, I'm worth more on paper. But my point is you made a couple of real key facts is you are profitable even at this interest rate. So when r- rates go down, you're going to be more profitable. So you've established a bond. If you buy a house and the dirt is worth as much as you bought it before you put improvements in it, then you put another bottom on it. It's just, it's like guaranteeing ways to win, which is pretty neat. That's correct. That's correct. That's correct. And, and again, the reason why I feel so comfortable buying a property in this sort of environment is one, because I've educated myself. I do understand, right? Warren Buffett is happy to make more investment when it's down because he's very confident in the education he's put into getting to know that company. 100%. And that's another one that I put in here. Watch out for the vice in advice. Everyone's got an opinion. Tell me a little bit about that. So everyone's got an opinion like, okay, so Someone talks to someone listening to a podcast about real estate. Just kind of really try to figure out where they're coming from. They might have had a bad experience. So they're warning you like, oh man, don't do it. I got burned. Well, that's one off. What do you have? One transaction? So, you know, my, you know, my kid when he's little, ride a bike and fell off it and told me, oh man, these bikes, they'll kill you. Or maybe listen to Lance Armstrong or someone, you know, you know what I mean? But the, the other thing is most people right. maybe had three or four real estate transactions if they're my age. Three or four real estate transaction from three or four decades with three or four different, entirely different macroeconomics or entirely different neighborhoods. So what's the odds of them being really good and sound advice? Like when it comes to a- appreciating properties and good school district, I- I'm probably top 5% guy you can visit with. Um, if, if mm. you want to find out. Don't buy multifamily in small rural communities where there's a lot of meth. I could help you. I could help you figure out what not to do. <laughs> I could be the cautionary tale, but, but you got to be careful. And just because someone's a real estate agent or just because they're a mortgage broker, you know, there, there's, there's a doctor that was the worst doctor out of his class and there's a doctor that was the best doctor out of his class. Just That's because right. you're a doctor or a real estate agent doesn't, doesn't mean much. So I think. You know, there's so many podcasts, there's so many things, kind of like how you gravitated to my bigger pockets thing. You know, just tune in the voice that kind of resonates with you. And, and my, my deal's a little bit different because real estate for me has been get rich slow. Rich is relative, right? But I've got other things going on. I've got my, I focus on creating revenue streams day in, day out. I'm looking to grab a product line, grow it and get paid on it for a decade or two. And those are the type of things. Mm. Anyway, I think you got to be careful who, who you're taking advice from. And everyone means, right. everyone That's means right. well. You know what I mean? But, but look at it this way. That's right. If 98% of folks aren't going to become a millionaire, 
That means if we had a room full of 100 people, 98% of them might be giving you some bad advice, you know, if your goal is to be a millionaire. But why not talk to someone that's a millionaire or a multi-multi-millionaire that's doing what you're trying to do that has the same morals and values that maybe came up the same way? Because that's a clearer path. When I was younger, I loved reading books about immigrants. And the reason being is I had no family money. I really had no direction. I had wonderful, great Christian parents. They were awesome. But I didn't have any direction. So it's as if I was an immigrant because I didn't, like, I can think like an immigrant. They had no money and they're trying to become a business person in the United States of America. That's That's me. I got no money and trying to become a business person in the United States of America. So I, I identified with them because even though I was an immigrant, I can't understand their plight of fleeing a country for whatever reason. I do understand not having any relationships and not having any money and trying to become something like an immigrant. That's right. You know, Tim, what would you say to somebody? And you, you kind of cover this in your book, um, in, in the chapter, Bet on Yourself. You know, you, you had, this was back in 2005, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. you, ha- you had a position that was paying you about 150000 uh-huh. Um, you know, salary, very comfortable. I think 2005, that's amazing. Sure. And I have a lot of friends that we call them the golden handcuff. Yeah, of course. Which is basically- I've got a lot of friends like that right? too. They can't afford what to leave. You, what, 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 what would you say to somebody that is in that position because you, you, you left that position? Most people that have a W-2 job, is like a table with one leg underneath it. And that leg gets knocked out, 100% of your money's gone. Your table's on the floor. So what I try to do is put many, many legs underneath what I'm doing. Many, many revenue streams. And so by doing that, I feel like my table is way more sturdy. If someone takes a whack at it, they might knock a, a leg or two out of it, but I still got the rest of it standing. And so I think if anyone's listening to this, you got to figure out what else can you make money on that's complementary to what you're doing. And if you're stepping off a curb and not a cliff, your downside isn't too bad, then I think you should do it. You're a W-2 employee. The government grabs the money first and leaves you what's left over. You're a business owner. You get all the money. You, you expense, you spend money, and you get taxed on what's left. But just look at whatever you're doing, whether it's a job or a business, l- look to grab money from that to go to go invest in real estate. And I like, I, I like that advice. And I think that the first thing that we have to figure out is to figure out if you're in a forest, you need to figure out where am I? Right? You need to figure out where you are in order to get to where you want to be. Right? So Anybody out there listening, I mean, this is the advice that I think you will probably support Tim is, you know, you got to figure out where you are and then know where it is you want to go. Educate yourself on that. Yep. Find all of the options. You're not the only person sure. who's done it or who has felt I was. it. Mirror those, right? Which takes <laughs> me to mentors, uh, Tim. How do you feel about that? Getting around people, are they important? Should you waste your time? trying to reach out to someone that has been or is where you want to be. Does that make any sense? I got a little saying, mentors come before money, just like in the dictionary. ME comes before MO. Um, But the other thing I would say is try to figure out what you can do. If, if, If you've got someone you want to reach out to, do your homework and figure out, you know, like if someone, someone was broke, came up to me or reached out to me and go, Hey, I realize that, you know, your one book benefits uh, community storehouse, which is a food bank and clothing for poor. And the other book that my wife and I wrote benefits um, um, uh, women in distress that have mm. to leave in the middle of the night against abusive men. So someone came to me and said, Hey, 
I can only give 10 bucks. I don't have, I don't have anything, but if you'll meet with me, you know, I'll give 10 bucks to one of those two charities. I for sure would. I'd probably meet with them regardless, but I like it when people do their homework a little bit and offer to do something um, because they feel like they're invested. And the thing that the gentleman you met in Target, I think the vast majority of people aren't willing to do what it takes to become successful. Mm. And the guy with no money at Target, is he willing to DoorDash, Uber Eat, side hustle? What's he willing to do to get that oh, done? Oh, I there? love it. Keep you know talking. what I mean? Yeah, that's right. What, what's, what, what, is, is he willing to work 20 or 30 hours uh, a week for free for the mentor that really doesn't need them? Again, you gotta, you gotta have a plan. You gotta do the homework and you have to do the work. Like Tim says, everybody wants to, you know, they want to get rich. Everybody wants to do that. Are you willing to put in the work to educate yourself, to do the homework? Okay. To say no to, to, to the things that are, you know, partying or whatever it is you're doing. Um, and I think Tim is right. Most people are not willing to do that. I've got a website, timshiner.com, and yep. I've got a free poster, 25 Habits of a Future Millionaire. But this is a free poster, and it's, yeah, I'm just going to pick on a few one. Number one, outwork everyone. Like, if you think it's going to happen without outworking everyone, good luck. I mean, it might, but number two is leverage, which real estate to me is the finest example of leverage. You put 5, 10, 20% down, bank puts the rest, you own 100% of the, of the upside. Um, great advice only. We kind of talked about that, positive attitude. Uh, mentors number five. We talk about mentors, you know, um, learn how to sell. I think that's super important. You learn how to sell. You can have money coming in. You got money coming in. You can, you can deploy that into real estate. So it's just stuff like that. Uh, set goals. I'm a huge goal guy. This is a, I don't know if I ever tell you about this, but this is what I do. I, I just work my goal boards. What is that? And, is that your, okay. Yeah. And, and then every time I do something, I put a dot next to it. And the reason being is you can start seeing, you know, audio book, I'm doing good. You know, you know, buying a jet, I'm doing terrible. <laughs> you know, go to the gym, I'm not doing as good. But you can kind of tell, you can kind of tell what you're doing. But this, like, you know, this is last year and I graded myself. You know, there's some F's, some C's. Can you uh, put it up? You know, that's a year with, before. Let's see. Let's yeah. see. Yeah, there you go. And you, and then, you, yeah, you do. Wow. I mean, I I've it. got in front of me everything that I'm supposed to be doing. You know, and I, I, again, I gravitate towards Tim. Tim does walk the walk. I mean, first of all, I love talking to Tim because he's always positive. I think Tim, every time I talk to Tim, it's about, dude, you should write your book. He's encouraging me to write a book. He's encouraging me. Hey, how are you doing? You need that's on my list. Like, <laughs> this to encourage people to write you books. Also, you, in your book, you, it you, is something that really stood out got to a me story. Was, you know, you help some when, when you find out somebody loses their job, you're like, I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make mm -hmm. sure that they, I'm gonna find them a job. That's crazy. And you, and you, and you yep. said, I'm just not gonna give them one opportunity. I'm gonna present to them multiple opportunities till I get them a job. Find friends, people that need job. Here's why. There was a relationship book that said that when a woman loses her best friend, it's the equivalent of a male losing his job. Men identify their success and who they are through their work. So if a guy doesn't have a job, he's hit pretty hard. And then he had, you know, got wife and kids and stuff and you get a lot of fi financial pressure. So I try to call my friends on Monday morning that's, that's so that smart. are unemployed because the rest of us have someplace to go. They don't. And so if there's going to be a darkest moment of the week, it's probably, you know, eight, nine o'clock Monday morning because that's right. they got nowhere to go. 
Um, so, I love so that. that's important, I love but that's it. just, you know, being a good person, good karma and everything else. Another book I wrote, and this one's a little bit mangled, but my wife and I wrote a book. My w- wife loves slash hates <laughs> real estate. The reason why I wrote yeah, this book, I wrote this book with my wife. Well, first of all, my wife didn't want to write it. I said, well, you drink wine on the back patio and talk into a recorder when I ask you questions. Like, oh yeah, I can do that. And so, so every chapter is her and I's take on a real estate subject. And the reason being is, I was at Bigger Pockets Denver headquarters after I recorded. I was in, in town for business. I went in there, I brought him some lunch. I wanted to visit with him. And while I was waiting, I realized it, it, dawned, it dawned on me. I read every book that Robert Kiyosaki wrote, but then I was out and I wrote, I read Kim Kiyosaki's and I was shocked because her views on real estate and risk, mainly risk, was entirely different than what I think a lot of men are. So then, you probably get the same. I hear people going, my wife really wants to do it, but I don't. Or I'm not handy. My wife wants to do it. Or I want to do it. And my wife doesn't want to do it. And so then that's the, if you choose not to decide, you still made a choice. So so basically, because you and your wife can't get on the same page, you don't ever buy real estate. So I thought, all right, this book would be good for trying to get the spouse that's not on board. This book would be good for helping the spouse that might not understand why it's important That's to awesome. the guy or the girl That's to do That's a real this. problem. Uh, so we wrote, we, we, we wrote that. It really is. So we wrote that book for that. Another book that, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad changed my life. But if I was to start all over again, I would start with mm. Cashflow Quadrant. Because Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I read and I put it down and I had to come back to it because it was just too much there, too meaty. And what cash flow quadrant did is you got these quadrants, which is EBSI, which is uh, E's an employee, B's a business owner, S is a, a self-employed, and I's an investor. And it's talking about how, like a lot of people listening, this might be an employee. Well, how do I become self-employed? How do I become a business owner? How do I become an investor? That book was really instrumental early on. Like I was doing all right, but I wasn't, I didn't, these books really got me buying real estate. So. I'll tell one other one other story. I know we got to wrap up. So, so my friend Josh, that uh, we have a promotional products embroidery business uh, together, and and he he was one of the few guys that actually like listened and took the advice. He was thirty one years old. It's a big cowboy fan. He came in town for a cowboy game, and he was just kind of unwind. He was a live wire, and I basically said, "You're going to be forty years old with or without real estate. So, which version of the forty year old version do you want?" And so I I just I just bought a Lamborghini Gallardo because I just and uh, and let him drive it. Yeah, I let him drive it. And so he went back to Kentucky and he did it. And and I also I, I bought my Lamborghini after I had ten rental houses. My rep firm was doing a certain amount, and my promo business was doing a certain amount. Then I rewarded myself. I didn't just go eat a cookie. I didn't eat a chocolate Sunday before I worked out for a week. You know, that's right. You don't do that. You work out for a long time, then you get a you get a chocolate Sunday. So anyway, Josh, Josh started stacking houses really quick. Well, at the time he had a, a wife and three daughters. He later had a son, Joshy, but, but his wife was the one having to deal with all the back end. And sometimes you got to think about who's the person by you buying one more house. Who are you burden, burdening? And so Josh has always been great about vacation. They live in rural Kentucky. So they like to give a get away. They like to go to Disney and cruises and stuff like that. So. Because his wife, rightfully so, was like, what the hell are we doing? She couldn't see the long vision. You know, she, she was kind of short-sighted like a lot of folks are. And so I finally said to Josh, I said, Josh, would you spend 2500 or three grand more on every house you bought? Like, are you buying them right enough? He goes, oh, yeah. I go, so if you had to pay three grand more, you would. He goes, yeah. 
I said, all right, here's what you need to do. Factor in a vacation every single time you buy a house. So now you come home to your wife and your kids and go, great news. I just bought this 322 for 35000 bucks, and guess what? We're going to Disney. So instead of his wife viewing it as one more burden, because Josh knew, Josh, the same guy has $7 million worth of real estate that he owes less than a million on, right? But that takes a long time. It's a long journey. So in the short term, he had to get his wife on board with what he was doing. And what he, when he told me the challenges, I just looked at the solution as factor in the vacation. And that's how he got his wife on board. They've taken a zillion vacations. In fact, my wife was commenting on, hey, they're on another vacation. I'm thinking to myself, well, you must have literally before the podcast, I mean, you must have bought another property. But, but, but the key was what if his wife is heavy handed and Chrissy's a sweetheart? What you, it's tough enough to be successful. You don't need the person you're sharing a bed with that you love the most to be an obstacle. You know what I mean? So how do you get your spouse aligned? How do you get the vision together? But you got to make sure your spouse on board. What's the odds that two people think the same way on anything? And then you throw money. And then, oh, instead of going to Disney, we get to put a down payment on a duplex. I mean, people don't, it's a sacrifice. That's why most people don't do it. It's very difficult. Tim, if people, people wanted to, where can we find more about you? If we, if somebody was listening to you, you know, they wanted to get more of Tim Shiner. Just, just timshiner.com, shine with an R, uh, like a black eye, like my little dog. Uh, timshiner.com. Um, I've got all my podcasts on there. I got my free poster on there. You know, that, that's Thank you so the easiest much for, um, hanging with me and happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you found this episode motivating and inspiring. Remember, competence builds confidence. As you continue on your entrepreneur journey, focus on developing your skills, acquiring knowledge, and honing your expertise. Because the more competent you become, the more self-confident you'll be. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to our podcast and leave a review letting me know your takeaways from today's episode or share with a friend or family member you think will benefit from listening. Remember, giving starts the receiving process. You can also connect with me on Instagram at jp.podcast. And lastly, If you're interested in connecting with me one-on-one to discuss anything regarding mindset or how to get to your next level in life or business, I'm available for one-on-one coaching calls. Just use the scheduling link in the show notes and I'll be happy to help you however I can. Stay tuned for more exciting episodes where I'll continue to explore the fascinating world of self-development, mindset, and entrepreneurship. Thank you once again for listening. And remember, if you can build yourself, you can build anything else. Believe in your abilities, trust your vision, and have the courage to pursue your dreams. I'll see you on the next one.